Was I there? Oh, I was there. And what a glorious day it was. Jesus of Nazareth was coming into Jerusalem. We had heard his teachings. We had seen all the miraculous things he had done. We'd even seen him raise a dead man back to life. Yes, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus. He's alive. Jesus, this rabbi, this prophet was riding on a colt, not a horse, not a donkey, but a colt. You could hear his disciples shouting and cheering as he was coming our way. They were declaring him a king. They were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I heard others shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. We had been waiting so long. Our people mm. had been waiting for God, for Yahweh to deliver us and restore our nation to the time of King David. And obviously this was finally our day. Some were taking their cloaks and throwing them down on the road, paving the way for our new king. I didn't have one, so I pulled down some palm branches and joined in the celebration. Hosanna! Hosanna indeed! What a way to start the celebration of Passover! But the shouting and the cheering didn't last long. Well, at least the cheering didn't. It was only a few days and everything turned on its head. Mm. I would definitely welcome a new king, but the word got around that this Jesus was claiming that he was more than a king. They said he claimed to be the actual Son of God. Son of God? That's blasphemy. Did he really say that? That's what the chief priests and all the teachers were saying. No one can claim to be the Son of God. I don't care how many people he may have healed or how eloquent his words may have been. He must be punished. Punished? Don't you hear the others? They're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It wasn't long until, until they were driving nails through his hands and feet. The shouting and the taunting continue on and on. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they were all there mocking him and shouting. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. I heard one of them yell. It was just relentless. But then it ended. He ended. And he breathed his last breath. Oh, I was there. We were there. But now what? So, uh, as many of you know by now, we are continuing in this Lenten series called Were You There? And we are looking at different characters who were there that first Good Friday. Today, I'd like to take you back into time again, but not to that first Good Friday, but rather that first Palm Sunday. And if you were there on that first Palm Sunday, you'd, you would see a, a very different scene than what you would see on that first Good Friday at his crucifixion. I mean, Jesus would be there, right? But he wouldn't be hanging on a cross. He would be riding in, I guess, what we could probably call a parade, right? I mean, really, that's kind of what it was. There were people lining the streets, and they were uh, you know, cheering and waving palm branches just like you were doing. They were shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was, by all means, a parade. You know, there weren't any floats or marching bands or politicians or especially the people throwing the candy. That's the best part of any parade for me. But it was a parade, and they were watching him ride into town. Now, 
if you were there on that first Palm Sunday, and, and if I were there, at least if I were there, I, I would at least want to know these two things. If I saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, there would be two questions that would just beg to be asked. And the first is, why the parade? I mean, Jesus had been to Jerusalem before, right? Many times. They didn't throw any parades for for him then. So what made this time so different? Why the parade? The answer, and I don't know if you caught it in the video clip, But if you look a chapter earlier than what Jamie read a moment ago from John 12, what you guys read out loud, in John 11, you'll read the story about how Jesus raises a guy named Lazarus back from the dead. Now, Jesus and Lazarus were really good friends. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were the ones that had Jesus over, and Martha was busy sweeping the kitchen floor, that kind of thing. Lazarus was very, very sick. In fact, by the time Jesus arrived, Lazarus had died. But Lazarus had been dead by the time Jesus arrived. He had been dead four days. That is significant. The four-day time frame is very significant because back then, Jews were taught, and this is just purely Jewish tradition. Okay, it's not anywhere found in the Bible. But the Jews back then were taught, according to Jewish tradition, that when a person dies, their soul, their spirit, would hover around their body for about three days, trying to get back in. But the fourth day... Fourth day, the soul recognized, yeah, apparently I can't get back in, and so then it leaves for good. So every good Jew back then would have known that Jewish tradition. Every good Jew would have also known that Lazarus had been dead for four days, which meant that he wasn't just kind of dead. I mean, he was dead dead, I guess. You know, he was completely dead. And when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it's a big deal because he's been dead four days. And as you can imagine, word spread like wildfire. And in fact, Bethany, where this miracle happened, is just a short two-mile walk to Jerusalem where the parade took place. So yeah, it's not surprising. It's not surprising that you, it says in John 12, verses 17 and 18, the crowd that was with Jesus when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that Jesus had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So now you know why this huge crowd is meeting Jesus as he rides into town. And then you add to that the fact that Passover is coming up and lots of people are are flooding the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Well, yeah, you can see where the crowd came from and why the excitement. I think the simple answer to the question, why the parade? Is because the people saw in Jesus, they saw the power of the Messiah. Because who else could have that kind of power but the power of God to raise somebody who had been dead for four days? And and so for the Jews back then, who had been waiting thousands of years for the promised Messiah to arrive, they, they threw this incredible celebration because they believed Jesus was it. He was the promised Messiah. They were amped up about that. But that leads me to a second question that just begs to be asked. What caused the crowd to reject Jesus? So this is Palm Sunday. Five days later, they're screaming out for him to be put to death. (laughs) What on earth happened? What did Jesus do? 
And I think the answer to that isn't so much what Jesus did as what he didn't do. Remember that first Palm Sunday, one of the words that they were all shouting out, that one word is Hosanna. Okay, translated it means, uh, it means rescue, help, save. Okay, so these people who know Jesus has power, he raised Lazarus from the dead after four days being dead, dead. He, they also knew then he could have power to help and save them as a nation. That he had the power to liberate and rescue them from the hated, oppressive Romans who had been occupying their land for hundreds of years. He had power to recapture the throne and bring Israel back to its glory days under King David. So, yeah, yeah, it, Jesus had power, and that is true. But we also know that Jesus didn't ride into town to be a political savior or to provide physical freedom from the hated Romans. No, and you know, he, he didn't, and this is the answer to why I think the people rejected Jesus. It's because he didn't come for a throne. As Laura pointed out, he came for a cross, right? Not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. And that parade simply reveals the truth of God's plan and God's agenda for Jesus, which is vastly different, which was vastly different than the, the plan and the agenda of the crowd. And, and that's why Jesus also rode in on a colt of a donkey, a young male donkey that had never been ridden before. Because kings don't ride into town on donkeys, folks. They ride in on white stallions, right? Servants ride into town on, on donkeys, so Jesus intentionally used that donkey to symbolize the fact that he didn't come to be their king. He came to be their servant. Right? Jesus says in Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, it didn't take long for the people to put two and two together and figure out Jesus was not going to be the Messiah that they wanted. And while it is true that some of the crowd and a lot of the religious leaders of the Jews were bent out of shape because of his claim to be God, I would argue the bigger reason why the people rejected Jesus was because they were let down. They thought he was going to be their liberator. And they're like, sorry, Jesus, we don't want a servant. We want a ruler. Okay? We don't want spiritual freedom, whatever that is. We want political freedom. And because Jesus didn't measure up to what they had wanted, yeah, they, they exchanged him for a condemned murderer by the name of Barabbas, and they cried out for his crucifixion. Now, we know, of course, three days later, Jesus proved that he was indeed the Messiah by rising from the dead. But in that moment, on that first Palm Sunday, that crowd, because they were just so blinded by their own selfish ambitions and agenda for Jesus, they missed the very Messiah they had waited thousands of years to see. Unless you think that the, the people in the crowd were the only ones that got it wrong, think again. Even some of Jesus' disciples got it wrong. Take, for example, Peter. Peter was Jesus' right-hand man for three years. But in Matthew 16, when Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to go into Jerusalem, which is what Palm Sunday is all about, and there he's going to be crucified for the sins of the world, in verse 22 it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. To which Jesus, of course, has to scold Peter and say, sorry, Peter, but yes, it will happen. 
And the reason why you're so upset is because you have your own plan in mind for me. And it's not God's plan. Now, you would think that after that kind of a reprimand, Peter would have learned his lesson and said, oh, you're right, well, you know, God's plan should always come first. I'm sorry. But just a couple days later, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gets arrested, and out comes Peter with a sword, and he, he lops off some poor guy's ear. And why does he do that? Because Peter had an agenda. Peter's agenda was a lifetime with Jesus. And I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to be too hard on Peter because he loved Jesus with all of his heart. But I think it's safe to say that there were times when Peter's love had a kind of selfish tint to it, where he was basically saying, I'm not letting anyone or anything take my Jesus away from me. Peter got it wrong. Another disciple was a guy by the name of Judas. We all know Judas, right? Judas was a zealot. Zealots were political activists. Judas hated Rome too. And he knew that in Jesus was the power to get rid of Rome once and for all. And I, this is pure speculation on my part because we don't know what Judas was thinking. But maybe, just maybe, Judas betrayed Jesus because he felt that maybe Jesus was dragging his feet a little bit and exerting his power Okay, a power that Judas knew could to, you know, free them from Roman oppression. And so Judas, maybe he's thinking Jesus just needs a little push, a little, little boost. Maybe Judas is thinking, you know, if, if Jesus gets backed into a corner and he has to defend himself, maybe, maybe he will defend himself. Maybe he will use his power and then we will get what we want. Well, as you know, Jesus didn't use his power to defend himself. Jesus let the people crucify him. And when Judas saw all of his plan like going south, he, he was so overwhelmed with grief that he went out and he hung himself. But the point is that Judas was caught up in his own ambition, his own agenda, his own plan for Jesus as well. So the crowd, Peter, Judas, they all made the same big mistake. They were all so wrapped up in their plan for Jesus, they missed God's plan for Jesus. And what I want to do in the time that we have left, with all of that in mind, because that was a lot of story, right? What I'd like to do in the time I got left is share with you a big warning and a great truth. First, the big warning. Don't make the same mistake. That's not the right one. There's, oh, that was, sorry, I forgot about it. Judas had his agenda, and that was that Jesus would fill, fulfill the role of political Messiah. Okay? He had his own plan in mind, and that was to be a political Messiah, to save them from Rome. All right, now, here's the great warning. Don't make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake that the crowd and that Peter and that Judas made by selfishly seeing Jesus as a means to your own ends, as kind of this genie who will give you whatever you want whenever you want it. And I share that because it is tempting when prayers don't get answered the way you want them answered and life doesn't go the way you want it to go to think, well, obviously Jesus must not be faithful. Obviously Jesus must not love me. He must not be strong enough. And, and it's very tempting to, to think that. And next thing you know, you're rejecting him and crucifying him all over again. So don't make the same mistake. Don't get so caught up in your own plan and your own agenda for Jesus that you miss God. That you miss God's plan, God's agenda for your life. 
And what is God's plan for you? God's desire is, well, at least two things. First, God desires that a personal relationship with you. Okay? That's what God wants more than anything else in the universe. God wants you to have a personal relationship. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. So he could break you from the grip of sin, death, and the power of the devil. And so that you, by the Spirit's power, can enjoy fellowship with, with God every day of your life, now, as well as forever in heaven. That's, that's why God created you. God wants to have a deep, intimate, personal relationship. He wants you to have that with him. That's his agenda. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. But along with that, God also wants you to live your life in alignment with his will. He doesn't want you to live your life in alignment with what you think is the right thing to do or what the rest of the world says is the right thing to do, but alignment with his will, his wisdom. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all in alignment with God's will. Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Right? The story of Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter is all about the fact that there's only one kingdom on earth that matters, and it's God's. And until you align, until you align your life with God's will and seek first his kingdom, you're going to miss out on his plan for your life. Now, the good news is that it is never too late to change. Right? Judas made a mistake, and he killed himself. The crowd made a mistake, and I don't know where they ended up, what happened to them. Peter made a mistake, but Peter repented, right? And he received and enjoyed God's forgiveness and grace. And he spent the rest of his life committed to building God's kingdom, seeking first God's glory and accomplishing God's purposes. So I just want you to know, it's never too late to change. If you're out of alignment with God's will, confess it. Say, God, I'm sorry. I've been living according to my desires and not your desires for me. Please forgive me. And then, no, he will. He will forgive you for Jesus' sake. So that's the big warning. Don't make the same mistake. Now for the great truth, God's agenda is always the best. God's plan for your life is always the right plan. God's will and way for your life is always the best way for your life. He always has your best interests at heart. In fact, because God loves you, he cannot act in any other way. Can you imagine what would have happened if Jesus had caved in to the prayer pressure of the crowd on that first Palm Sunday? And he's like, oh, okay, all right, I won't die. I will do what you guys want me to do. I'll recapture the throne. What would have happened? I'll tell you what would have happened. If Jesus had done what the people wanted, they would have had external and temporary freedom, right? They would have had political freedom from the Roman government, and they would, have less, they would have lived the rest of their days on this earth out in freedom as well. They would have had external and temporary freedom. But thankfully, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus followed God's plan for his life, God's plan for our lives. And he offers us, as a result, very different freedoms. Because Jesus did what God wanted, you now have internal and eternal freedom. Because Jesus did go to the cross and die for your sin and my sin and the sins of everyone in this world, God offers you freedom from what really enslaves you. God frees you, not from the power of some political government, but from the grip of sin in your life. 
God frees you from, from those sinful cravings and desires that you simply don't have the power, the strength to overcome on your own. God frees you from your shame and your guilt by his love and his grace. Those are the freedoms that God offers to you. That's what he offers you. So it really is good that Jesus didn't cave in to what the people had wanted or else he would never have been able to give us the freedoms that we need. God knows best. And I know that there are times when you, when you get that house you always wanted or the car that you always wanted or the job that you always wanted or the spouse that you always wanted that it raises your level of happiness. But ultimately, God wants you to understand this truth. A relationship with him, a relationship with Jesus through faith, okay, that is the source of greatest joy, period, end of statement. So when you, by the Spirit's power, you seek first God's kingdom, okay? You're aligning your life with his will. You seek first his agenda for your life. That's when you enjoy life in all of its fullness. I'm not saying that your life is going to be free from challenges or difficulties or problems or pain. God never promises that. But he does promise these blessings will flow into your life. First, God promises you peace. Peace. Even in the middle of a pandemic, he promises you peace. A peace that is beyond comprehension. A peace that is yours when the storms of life strike. A peace that gives you a quiet confidence knowing that even in the midst of that, that hurricane force storm, there is a power that's available to you that's above and beyond that storm. Peace. Second, God promises you joy. Happiness? Mm, yeah, not always. Joy? Absolutely. Because while happiness is always dependent upon your circumstances, the true joy of Jesus is always going to be there regardless of your circumstances. Joy. And then third, God promises you hope. The hope that when your life is falling apart before your very eyes, God is still at work in your life, working things out for your good and his glory. And of course, there's the ultimate hope, isn't there? That one day we will see Jesus face to face in heaven. That when this life is over here on earth, that's when the, the really good life, the great life with Jesus begins. And all because we have a savior who came to this earth not to be an earthly king, but our suffering servant. So let me just close with a couple of uh, challenges for you on this Palm Sunday. First, I just challenge you to praise God that Jesus came to serve and not be served. Connect with God this week. Read through John 12 or the, the Palm Sunday stories in all four gospels. Pick whichever one. But read through it again and celebrate the fact that Jesus came not to be a, an earthly king, but to be our suffering servant. And through him, all people are forgiven and saved. Second, remember that God's agenda for you is filled with blessing. God's way is the best way. All right, his, his plan for your life is always the best plan. Just trust him. Live in alignment with what he says you should do, how he desires you to live, and you will experience one blessing after another. I guarantee it. And then third, um, join the Red Letter Challenge and sign up for a small group. I know I mentioned that earlier. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. Pick up a book on your way out. Sign up online for a small group. That's the, really the key. Uh, you can do this on your own, but you're just not, it just won't be the same. Having other people there with whom you can share your answers and you can hear what their answers are, you grow that way. 
And, and there's encouragement and prayer and there's laughter. It's just, it's a lot of fun to grow closer to a few other brothers and sisters in Christ as well as to God. So go online and sign up. Uh, go to our website and sign up for a small group. Uh, you won't regret it. And, and just think about the, 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 the fun we can have together as a body of believers as we study those words of Jesus, and, which is God's agenda, right, and put them into practice, where we learn the internal and eternal truths that Jesus came to bring us as our promised Messiah, as our suffering servant, as our risen and living Savior and Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I just pray that you allow each person in this place to know that you love them, that they matter to you, that you have proved that love by sending your son so that they can have a relationship with you and experience both that internal and eternal freedom for their lives. Keep us from sliding back into a track that would cause us to seek after our own personal agendas and instead help us to remember that life in all of its fullness is found only in you. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' great name, amen.